With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Phillips Levin of the 1012 podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I. Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. Thank you for joining us on this Thursday, folks. The late signing period is officially underway. It used to be just the normal signing period, it's not the late one, because most recruiting is wrapped up in December now. More than 70% of all players are signing then. But that doesn't mean there's not a lot going on at this point. Plus, at this point, we now know... For the most part, all we're really going to know about most of the teams in the Big 12 and their recruiting classes for 2020. So that's what we're discussing today. Tried to bring on a single guest to talk about the Big 12, couldn't find one, so I just went in a different direction. Five different guests, all going to give us about 10-15 minutes on five different teams. We're talking about Oklahoma State, Kansas State, Iowa State, Texas, and TCU today. Those are the guests I've run on because I just reached out to people that I like and trust and, and have good insight into those teams and their classes. Okay, Now look, there's a lot of references as to how teams and players and, and classes are ranked. There is one site that I use the most more than any other. I go 24-7 sports. 
Based off of that, Texas had the number one recruiting class in the Big 12. They had number one in the conference, number nine nationally. Oklahoma at number two in the conference, followed by TCU, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Texas Tech, Kansas State, Baylor, and Kansas. Now, I, I tried to get to as many as we could. I didn't want this podcast to go too long. I, I tried to find a West Virginia and tried to find a Baylor guest. I was unable to. Um, but I think we got really good insight on the five teams that we have. I think you're really going to enjoy this. I don't want to spend too much time here. I want to go ahead and get to these interviews real quick. However you listen to the show, do us a favor, leave us a rating and a review. Five stars if you don't mind and let us know what you like and don't like. Follow us on Twitter at 1012podcast, T-E-M, the number 12, the word podcast. Uh, just a heads up for next week's shows. Normally we do basketball on Mondays, football on Thursdays. It's going to be a little bit of a change of pace. Baseball, college baseball season starts next week, so we're going to have a Big 12 college baseball preview. I'm very, very excited about it, and I am working to get us a college softball guest as well. I understand not everybody cares about college softball. That's okay. Not all of you care about college basketball either. But the Big 12 plays softball. Big 12 is pretty good at softball. They've got one of the best teams in the country in Oklahoma. Texas is up there. Oklahoma State is on the rise. I think it's worth having a conversation about. So just a heads up, we're going to try and get some softball next week. We are going to have baseball. Look forward to both of those. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any of them. With all that said, let's get to recruiting. We're going to kick things off with Oklahoma State. Very excited to have Cody Nagel of GoPokes.com, 24-7 sports on the show. Cody, I want to start with this. Um, Obviously, Oklahoma State did most of their damage in the early signing period, but they did have a few big signatures here in the late signing period. One of them intrigues me quite a bit, and that's JUCO quarterback Ethan Bullock. Obviously, Oklahoma State has Spencer Sanders coming back, is signing a four-star in Shane Illingworth, but it was an interesting decision for OSU to – to sign a JUCO guy, uh, what can you tell me about Bullock and and what Oklahoma State and the coaching staff saw that made them think they needed a little bit of help at the position? Yeah, he actually signed, or I guess was in town this weekend. I'm um, in Stillwater this past weekend for for Cowboy Day. Um, he signed right away, committed and signed right away this morning before seven o'clock or so. Um, you know, I talked to his coach. Um, he came from City College of San Francisco. Um, I talked to his coach earlier this week um, when after he was in town. And, you know, he said that he's a, a guy that just is ready to learn and compete. And um, I think, you know, with, with OSU bringing him in, I think it just adds adds some depth to the quarterback position. Um, you know, they've got Sanders. They've got um, Illingworth that, that was in or signed in, the, in December. Um, but, you know, if you don't necessarily want to burn – Illingworth's red shirt right away if if Sanders is to to go down hurt again like he did last year um, I think it just adds some some depth to the depth to that position okay so OSU has we say 23 signings 21 guys who've signed letters of intent um, two confirmed transfers in Colin Clay defensive end from Arkansas and offensive guard Josh Sills from West Virginia um there's another name, and it hasn't been officially confirmed by either the player or the school yet, but that would be cornerback uh, Christian Holmes out of Missouri. Uh, what do you know about about him, and do we expect he will be playing with the team in September, or is there a re- is there a reason we just haven't seen anything official regarding him? Yeah, I know. You know, with Shuba Hubbard, 
you know, with his Instagram post the other day, late late Saturday night after after Cowboy Day, you know, it kind of made it seem like, you know, maybe he was either, you know, a silent commit or was at least just offered. Um, you know, I haven't been able to confirm anything um, yet about him him coming here to Stillwater. Um, but, you know, it does make sense with, with A.J. Green um, graduating. You know, he was a, an elite um, cornerback for – for the Cowboys last year. Um, and, you know, if, if they're able to, to bring in Christian Holmes, that, you know, is the guy that can step in right away and, and fill that position and, and bring some experience, you know, even though they've got, you know, some younger guys in, in Jared Bernard and, and Colby Harvell Peel, um, you know, it's, it's all about depth and, and that leadership that, that he could bring. And to wrap this up, looking at this class, obviously 2020 is a big season for Oklahoma State. A lot of high expectations with guys like Chuba Hubbard, Tylen Wallace coming back, Spencer Sanders, you would assume taking a step forward. And the defense in its third year under D.C. Jim Knowles and a lot of guys who've been playing quite quite a bit these last few seasons. So you wouldn't expect a lot of this 2020 class to be playing this year, but I am curious if there's a couple of guys you think that will either contribute or could make an immediate uh, large impact for 2020, who might they be? Um, I would say the the inside linebacker, um, Lamont Bishop, um, he signed today. Um, he's uh, another JUCO kid from Iowa Central Community College. Um, you know, He kind of flew under the radar for a lot of schools because he – um, sat out most of last season um, with a torn ACL. Um, but, you know, nowadays that, that injury, it seems like a lot of guys, you know, come back from that and, um, you know, back to 100%. I mean, you know, if he can step in and make an impact right away, I, I think that will definitely help the defense. Um, I guess another guy that might be able to to make some noise right away, um, possibly Mason Cobb also at that, that inside linebacker position. Um, you know, they're, they've also been kind of thin at, you know, that cowboy back position too, um, with Quentin Stewart, the, the three star from, from Salina, Kansas. Um, you know, if, if he can, can get in there and, and, and learn some, the offense right away, I know he's already at camp already on campus. Um, he enrolled early. Um, that's another name that, that you could potentially see making an impact early. I want to throw one more hat into the ring there. I'm curious your your opinion. Uh, I would say definitely an under-the-radar guy is is three-star athlete Brennan Presley out of Bixby, who was huge for Bixby this season, just put up insane numbers. A lot of people kind of think he was an underrated prospect. Uh, obviously, he's expected to play wide receiver, probably an inside guy. I, I know that they have Landon Wolf coming back, Dylan Stoner. Uh, do you see Brennan Presley as someone who is going to see the field in, in his true freshman season? You know, he's just an absolute playmaker. I mean, if they can find a way to, to get him on the field early, I don't see why why you don't get him out there, even if it's just, you know, kick return, punt return. I mean, the kid's got, you know, absolute athletic abilities that that is is rare and, and special to see. So, you know, I think if they can find a way to get him on the field, that that's a must must do for, for the coaching staff. I um, mean, you know, he, he was a talented um, playmaker for Bixby last season on leading them or helping them to, you know, a state championship over, over Stillwater high. Um, so yeah, if, if they can find a way to get him on the field that they've got to be able to do that and, and just allow him to, to make plays just, just like he does did in high school. Once again, Cody Nagel of gopokes.com 24 seven sports site. Cody really appreciates you joining us today.
Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, next up is Kansas State, who has completed their 2020 recruiting class on Wednesday. Riley Gates from Go Powercat joining us today. Riley, I want to start with today. Kansas State signed three new players for their class, and, and all three were a little bit surprising for various reasons. Can you kind of break that down for us? Yeah, um, so Sam Shields and Hadley Panzer are two offensive linemen that uh, were, were previously committed for, for quite a while, and we, we had initially thought they were going to sign um, with the program in December, they were going, uh, Shields was going to, was going to go ahead and take a blue shirt. Panzer was going to take a gray shirt. Um, you know, he, and he was, uh, he's battling injury, Sam Shields, uh, blue shirt. Cause he's in Manhattan can kind of maneuver around that a little bit, but we, uh, we saw K-State lose two kids in the class. Um, you know, first was, was Jojo Wilson, Joseph Wilson, a cornerback they really liked. Um, and then the other one was, was Max on, um, a wide receiver slash athlete. They were maybe looking to move into defense, um, out of Louisiana. Those, those two guys both kind of had some issues with grades, didn't necessarily make it to, to K-State. And so with those two opened up, um, they could slide shields and, and Panzer into, uh, signings today in, in the normal period. And then, uh, you know, the third one was was kind of a, a quite a surprise to everybody. Tyrone Tolini, he he comes in here. Um, we knew he was on K State's radar. We knew that they wanted him um, and had a pretty good shot at him, um, but just didn't know for sure until today. And um, the really interesting thing about him, we we, we think he's got a pretty good potential um, as a defensive lineman. I mean, you just watch his tape. We like what we see, and a lot of people are confused. You know, he doesn't have a great offer list. Uh, no other Power Fives. Like what what brought K State to him and. Um, it's it's unique because it's his first year playing football um, was this past year at junior college. He had, had never played before. And um, if I if I remember correctly, he was a more of a rugby guy. And so he kind of got into the Juco routes and then got that way. So um, we kind of think and I think K-State thinks they got a little bit of a steal in getting him um, in the second period without really having to fight anybody for him. So of this class, obviously a large portion signed back in December. There's 12 uh, members of this class already on campus. Um, I know you guys have had a chance to speak with some of them. Um, list me a couple you think have a chance to have a real impact on this 2020 season. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of this coming season, I, I think you could see a guy like T. Denson, the cornerback um, out of Georgia. I really think he has high potential. I think he has um, the type of, of style of play they – you could see get on the field pretty early. Um, and then other than that, I think you got to look towards the Juco guys because there's obviously, you know, you lose five offense, five starting offensive linemen. Um, you can see a guy like Dawson Delforge uh, out of Butler County kind of step in there on the, on the offensive line and really maybe take over a spot there. On the defensive line, you lose three starters. I think you could see um, Kamari Gaines. He's the uh, top signing from the class. He's out of Hutch and he was – you know, an all-American Juco player, I think he could step in at the end or put on some weight um, and become a defensive tackle. Um, I think you could also see Robert Hentz, the, the junior college defensive tackle out of uh, Northwest Mississippi. I think he could slide in there. It, it kind of sounds – it's interesting because, you know, a lot of people want to ask that question, who can make an immediate impact as a freshman? Um, and I think they're really going to look to redshirt a lot of these guys just because of the potential. Um, you know, if I had to guess of, of guys that might not redshirt – Maybe you're looking at a Nate Matlack, um, a TJ Smith at corner. Um, and, you know, I mentioned earlier T. Denson. I just think a lot of these kids, I think they all have really high potential. And I think they really can play at this level. But, um, you know, I just don't know if a lot of them are necessarily in a position where you can, can step in as a freshman and, and it's worth burning a redshirt. There's, there's very few kids in, in college football that can do that. Um, 
in terms of the players K-State is signing. And, and I think it just might benefit K-State better to leave him as a redshirt. So this, this class, uh, according to 24-7, ranked 51 nationally and eighth in the Big 12. It's a, it's a slight step up from Kleiman's first class, but you, I don't like holding a coach's first true class against him. I usually think, you know, year two, now that they've had a full year in the system and, and a full season to to try and recruit, is a, is a better gauge of, of kind of what they can do. How would you rate Kleiman's first, you know, full class here with 2020? Um, well, you know, it's interesting that you say that, um, and I, I definitely agree with you, um, but I, de- I think 2021 is going to be where we really see his impact because I think even in the 2020 class, um, we saw him struggle with, with being behind the eight ball in terms of time. I mean, there was a lot of in-state kids that went to, you know, Nebraska, Iowa State, different college, uh, Minnesota stole a running back out of Topeka that they really wanted just because they hadn't had a f- – they barely had a full year to really kind of develop, develop a relationship with them. Um, try to recruit him to K-State. So I think they are behind the eight ball a little bit there. Um, and, and we can really see this this staff hit their uh, stride in 2021. Um, but overall, the 2020 class, man, I really think it's good. I really like Will Howard. I mean, I know it's always easy to say, hey, the quarterback is is the prized possession of the class. He's going to be really good, et cetera. But I really think the kids kind of got something about him when he throws the ball and talking to him today was was really impressive I think he's got a bright future at K-State um, and I think they really hit the offensive line well too uh, you know I, I think they really got some steals that are going to really fit well um, in Connor Riley's class and so it's it's another one of those K-State classes where oh bottom of the big 12 middle of the pack nationally you know things like that not necessarily a one a class that pops off the chart, but um, I think that they got a, a lot of kids that are really going to surprise over time. And um, I really came in to build these relationships. Um, I'm really impressed with, with what they brought in and excited to see what it pans out to be. Yeah, you mentioned that 2021 class. It's, it's obviously very early, but at this point, five commits uh, currently ranked third in the Big 12 and 23rd nationally. Again, it's pretty early, so that'll change a lot, but it's a, it's a good start so far. Um, one particular uh, kid I, I want to just ask you about, I, as as a guy who covers Oklahoma State, there's there's one guy that went to Kansas State. I thought Oklahoma State had a pretty good shot at that'd be inside linebacker Jeremiah Harris. Um, I, I was I was pretty high on him. I know he's a three star kid. Um, what 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 have you seen from him? What do you think his potential is there at, in Manhattan? I love him. I really think he's going to be a great player. Obviously, he was the uh, he was the defensive MVP of the of the Texas State Championship. You know, in his class and. Um, I think that he really showed out in that game. I, I mean, didn't get to watch tons of games of uh, full, but we did get to see that one, and I was really impressed with him. I think he's just got uh, got the perfect fit for K-State and, and kind of the way that Scotty Hazleton wants to run um, the linebackers. I mean, I look at a guy like Elijah Sullivan this past year for K-State who really hit his stride um, at linebacker, and I see a little bit of Jay Harrison. Um, and, uh, you know, you get a guy in here, you know, we have him listed as 6'1", 205, and, you know, I don't know where he sits now necessarily, but you get him in the uh, in the strength program, you get him up to speed, um, and I think he's going to be even more special. The thing that really excites me about Jay Harris is the fact that he gets to come in and learn from some of these guys, um, you know, like an Elijah Sullivan, but specifically a Justin Hughes who um, missed his senior season this year with a knee injury. I think he's a great leader. I think he's a very talented linebacker who knows the game inside and out. Um, and I think that that sets up perfectly for, for Jay to come in and um, figure out the system, get adjusted to college ball, and then step in, you know, redshirt freshman, um, sophomore year, something like that, and really make quite a splash. 
uh, on the K-State defense. Riley Gates of Go Power Cat of the 24-7 Sports Network. Riley, really appreciate your time, man. Yeah, man, anytime. Melissa Trebwasser from Frogs of War joining us now to talk about the TCU recruiting class. And Melissa, I want to start with a a signing day surprise, let's call him. Uh, wide receiver Savion Williams, who had originally been committed to Arkansas, uh, changed that after the firing of then head coach Chad Morris. And, and you guys found out on Wednesday that he was going to become a Horn Frog. How big was his commitment, his jump to TCU? It's, I mean, it's a huge pickup for the Frogs, um, you know, who lose. Jalen Rager is one of the best receivers to ever come through the program um, this year and, and struggled so much in the passing game a year ago. And so TCU really targeted guys that were big and fast. And when you add uh, Williams to a group that already includes Quentin Johnson, Johnson, who's the highest rated uh, recruit in the class, a high four-star kid that's six foot four, and then two other kind of lanky, uh, you know, six three, six four guys, um, and Caleb Medford out of Henderson, and then also Blake Noel out of Ardmore, Oklahoma. Uh, you're looking at just a bunch of size on the outside, and I think that's one area where TCU's never really had elite talent over six foot one. So um, outside of Josh Dawson, obviously, but um, adding him, um, you know, Texas was was gunning hard for the kid down the stretch, so kind of being able to, to keep a Texas kid in state, a highly thought of Texas kid in state, and, and then add a really, really highly rated piece um, at this point in the period, in the signing period is, is a great sign for a TCU team that it's felt like it's been under quite a bit of turmoil here the last couple of months. So obviously wide receiver is a strength of this class, which is, which is pretty good. It, this class overall, it's the third ranked class in the Big 12 and, and 28th nationally according to 24-7. And this is the fifth straight year that TCU has finished with the third ranked class, which is, I mean, really impressive. And, and I think a, a lot of credit goes to Gary Patterson and, and the coaching staff, despite what, you know, what concerns there may be about the program. But I, I'm curious from you, what do you think TCU could try and do and, and take the next step with, with the recruiting program and try and push it, you know, even, even further and even better and fight for one of those top two spots? You know, it's going to be tough. You're always feels like that everyone's going to be kind of playing third fiddle to Oklahoma and Texas. Um, as long as those, you know, as long as Oklahoma's winning and Lincoln Riley's there and, uh, you know, being a, a private university in Texas where the university of Texas sits is, is always going to be an uphill battle. You're just not going to out-recruit, you know, a, a state flagship school like that very, very often. Um, I mean, they've done everything right in so many ways. They've got the facilities. They've got the educational opportunities. You know, more often than not, they've got a winning football team. Uh, and they've got excellent recruiters just up and down that coaching staff. I mean, Malcolm Kelly has, has been a boon to this program in the last, you know, 15 months or so. Uh, Zarnell Fitch is is one of the the best recruiters in the country that not enough people are talking about um, just for his talent and ability uh, and and just relating to dudes and being super genuine. Um, I don't know how I, I guess win more. Um, you know, win a win a Big Twelve championship outright, get to the playoffs, compete for a national championship. If you do that, then you you do overtake Texas as the the unquestioned winningest program in the state, despite the fact that the Horn Frogs have really dominated that that program the last, you know, five out of the last six years. So I, I think that the next step is is you got to get into the Final Four, you got to got to get into the playoffs, and you have to you have to get to and win some some 
big time brand games uh, in January. One thing about this class that I, I find interesting, you look at the roster heading into 2020 and, and quarterback doesn't seem like it should be a need. Obviously Max Duggan is back. You've got Matthew <laughs> Downing, Matthew Baldwin. Um, I mean, no, we, we have one healthy scholarship quarterback right now on the okay, roster. So that's just Duggan. One. Yeah, Duggan is the only dude that's right now cleared to participate in spring okay. ball. So this class has two more coming in. Uh, three-star Eli Williams, a dual threat out of Sepulpa, Oklahoma, uh, as well as uh, Juco. Uh, Steph, it's, either, it's either Stefan, Stephen, I don't know, Brown. I think it's Stefan, yeah. Okay, it looks like Stefan. Three-star uh, dual threat, uh, rated as the number one dual threat Juco QB. Is this just a safety blanket because uh, because they don't have healthy guys, or yeah, I mean, is there concern that they actually are trying to find someone better than Duggan? No, I don't think that they're trying to replace Duggan. Um, that's not the type of player that they signed. Uh, Eli Williams is is a guy who I think more likely ends up playing tight end or, or wide receiver for TCU at some point in his career, and he's coming off a pretty devastating knee injury as well. So I think it's highly unlikely that, that he's cleared to participate, you know, until camp. And he's, you know, absolutely a redshirt candidate. Um, I think that's why they brought in Stephon Brown so late is uh, he won't be there for spring. He's a, he's a May graduate from, from the JUCO ranks. And so he's not going to help you in spring ball. But there are questions about uh, Baldwin has not been able to get healthy. He's had some, some issues, I think some back issues. Um, so nobody knows what his long-term prognosis is. Uh, you've got Downing, you know, who's a, a former walk-on. You get another former walk-on from Mississippi State who transfers, and then you get a preferred walk-on um, uh, that's that's uh, you know is joining the program in the in the fall as well. And so the the real concern for TCU fans over the last three years is that you've yet to go into spring ball with a healthy quarterback room, and and they're once again it's going to be the max. Max Duggan show in the spring and he needs the reps by all means, but certainly a scary proposition for TCU fans to not have anyone that can push your, your freshman quarterback here as he goes into a second off season workout. Yes. Quarterback seems to be a, a, a real talking point for TCU the past couple of seasons. You mentioned the uh, Logan Burnett, the the quarterback transferring in from Mississippi state. They had a, a couple of transfers, uh, offensive tackle TJ Stormont, uh, safety Dylan Horton. Either of those guys seem like uh, guys who are going to have a big impact for 2020. Oh, I, I'd be shocked if Stormont's not not starting, um, or or at least you know one of the the six six dudes really getting reps at offensive uh, on the offensive line. Um, TC lost so much last year with with three three guys graduating um, from the O line, and so Stormont is an experienced guy who can come in who can play with some of these young guys and hopefully help elevate their game. Um, he, he's a huge, huge need. I, I don't know, like I, I haven't watched him play to know, you know, what kind of talent he brings, but, but he seems from everything I've heard, like a guy that can step in and play right away um, and, and is going to be a real steadying influence amongst what's a very, very young group. Um, as far as Horton, he's going to redshirt. I mean, he's got to sit out a year as a, as a transfer. He's not a graduate transfer. So um, uh, I, the thing I will say about him is, is that uh, Gary Patterson compared him to Ben Banigou and that, you know, he's a guy that, that was small. He's probably going to change positions. My guess is he plays linebacker when he does eventually hit the field for the Frogs. Um, but, but a dude with a super, super high ceiling that, that just needs some time to develop. So we won't hear from him in 2020, but in 2021, um, that's a name certainly to pay attention to. 
mentioned a lot of losses along the offensive line. Another offensive lineman in this class, I, I note Brandon Coleman from Juco offensive tackle out of Athens, Texas. It's another situation where TCU is trying to, to bolster a position where they lost a lot. Yeah, yeah, he, he's raw. Um, I, I think he's a kid who's certainly capable of playing um, and, and probably will see some, some rotations, but he's definitely a, a raw prospect who's going to need some development. If you want to talk about a guy who has a chance to play right away as a true freshman on the offensive line, not something Gary Patterson really prefers to do, but Garrett Hayes is just that good. Um, uh, he is, is a guy who, who really had kind of had some doubts with Chris Thompson leaving um, so late after the early signing period or right before the early signing period, but stuck with his commitment, um, is, is happy to be a horn Frog by all accounts, four-star kid, second highest rated player in the, in the class. And as a, a, college freshman is six foot five 318 pounds so so that's a kid if you want to look at, at a, a, a guy in, in the trenches that makes a massive impact right away on the offensive side of the ball uh, I think Garrett Hayes is, is the dude we'll wrap it up with this uh, TCU's got one scholarship left available uh, where do you think that's going to go uh, I think we all hope it goes to defensive end um, if, if you look at the depth there you know Oshawn Mathis is is a kid who, who looks like he's has – we've been waiting for him to break out. It should have been last year. It wasn't. But he's a guy who who certainly is talented, but he's going to miss some time in the spring with, with some nagging injuries, I believe. Um, you you lose, you know, the last three years, the pass rushers that the Frogs have, have lost are, are just a ridiculous uh, uh, level of sadness for the talent they've had. Um, and just to see those guys graduate every year. And if you look at the biggest issue for the defense a year ago was they just couldn't get to the passer. I mean, the, the sack numbers were all-time low levels for, for a Patterson defense. They, they couldn't put any pressure on guys in big games, and, and that's why, you know, they didn't get to a bowl game. So I think that finding an experienced pass rusher, a, a guy who, who can put his head down and, and get to work, especially with losing Ross Blacklock in the middle, um, get someone that can free up Corey Bethley a little bit. They can work opposite O'Shawn Mathis, and, and hopefully we see Brandon Bowen finally hit the field healthy too. Uh, that that's the biggest area of need um, where you have a chance to find an impact player in the transfer market and, and slot them in right away. Melissa Trewasser from Frogs of War. Always a pleasure to have you on the show, Melissa. And thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Good to talk Iowa State with Derek Duke of Wide Right Natty Light. Also someone you guys probably know from Big 12 Country, country and Heartland. Uh, Derek, I want to start with what I think are the two biggest signees in this class, and that's two quarterbacks. Uh, one being four-star dual threat Hunter Deckers, a local kid out of Iowa. Uh, the other, a three-star pro-style Aiden Bowman out of Minnesota. It's unusual to see classes with two quarterbacks, especially as often as guys like to transfer if they don't win the job. What are the expectations uh, of both these guys? And, and and how do you see two quarterbacks coming in at the same time working out? Well, it was interesting from the standpoint of, well, first off, they lost Real Mitchell, their backup quarterback from this last year. And once he kind of moved on, it opened up a spot. You know, obviously they have a couple walk-ons there behind Purdy, but they really needed somebody to come in and establish themselves as that second quarterback in case something does happen to Brock. And I think bringing in two quarterbacks uh, was probably wise for this cycle just because the uh, immediate need for it right now uh, between Deckers and Bowman, you, somebody, obviously both are going to need that year of experience to learn and sit behind, but Brock being a junior this year, uh, he's going to have a decision to make possibly for the NFL after this year, if he comes back for a senior year. So these are going to have, these guys are going to have time to develop, but at the same time, they have to be ready to step in 
right away in case something does happen to Brock. Um, as far as Hunter Deckers, he's an elite 11 guy, uh, athletic uh, as can be. If you're in the state of Iowa, you're very familiar with him. I think he was a, a state player of the year for the Gatorade uh, sponsor. So very familiar guy, nationally known as well. He's a little bit raw. I think he's a year or two maybe sitting is going to be good. He would probably be the guy that I would say is going to be that number two. And then Bowman, a uh, tall guy, 6'6", not athletic, pure pocket passer. He's actually a lefty, which is something you don't see often. So uh, either one of these guys I would feel comfortable with sitting at the two spot uh, behind Brock. But I would probably say right now it's going to be Deckers coming in. Who in this class, uh, and obviously, you know, everyone always wants to, to know the answer to this question, but I think it's, it's always an interesting one, is who do you think could be an immediate impact guy in this class for 2020? I'm going to lean towards wide receiver. Uh, I could either go Xavier Hutchinson from Blinn Junior College or TJ Tampa out of St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, these are two guys that on film, you, they jump out to me a little bit. And with Tampa out of Florida, he, he kind of reminds me of a smaller Hakeem Butler. You know, Hakeem's 6'5", and, and Tampa's only at 6'2". But just the way he runs routes, he's smooth catching the football. He needs to just add some weight. But he's a, definitely a guy I can see in the rotation early at receiver. And speaking of the wide receiver position, it's one of those positions where guys immediately can kind of kind of fill their way in compared to maybe an offensive defensive line where these guys need to add weight, you know, and take time to develop. Whereas some of these skill positions, it's just a smoother transition from the high school to the collegiate level. So TJ Tampa is probably a name I keep an eye on as well. Xavier Hutchin, uh, Hutchinson at a blend junior college, just a sure handed receiver, quick guy, uh, even had an offer from Oklahoma, believe it or not. So, uh, Iowa State had to fend off the Sooners for that one as well. So those are two guys to me that stick out and could see some uh, early playing time in the wide receiver rotation. So I'm curious your opinion on, on the job that Matt Campbell has been doing so far. This year's class ranked, according to 24-7, the exact same as last year's, 46th nationally and 6th in the Big 12. Obviously, they, they've found some some gems. Uh, you could look at Brees Hall last year, who I think is, after just one season, is arguably one of the better running backs in the Big 12. And, and they tend to find guys who can provide immediate impacts and, and turn into some big big players in the Big 12. But overall, how do you think he's doing, and how do, how do fans feel about the job Matt Campbell's doing on the recruiting trail? I'm sure they would. I'm sure you know everybody wants to be in that top 25, top 30 range. It's it's just not realistic. It's not going to happen. I think the one thing you're seeing with Matt Campbell, he's establishing that culture uh, in Ames, and he's getting guys to who fit that culture, who fit the needs, and who fit who fit the basically bill of what he's trying to build there. I think that's the most important thing that Iowa State fans need to keep in mind is, you know, he he's creating a culture. You know, you don't want to say it's necessarily from scratch, but He's built it up over the last few years, and now maybe you know 247 ESPN rivals all these big-time websites and, and companies are maybe putting the value on these guys that Matt Campbell's seeing. Uh, but in his eyes, he, he's seeing guys that maybe look or you know two or three stars on paper, but in his eyes could be four or five-star guys or even five-star guys down the road uh, after a couple of years of development in the program. So I think that's what people maybe need to focus on is just what his fit is with some of these guys. And most importantly, like I, I keep referring back to culture because he's built a culture. He knows what he's looking for. And that's really who he's trying to get out to get. I think it's obviously when you see some of these guys and you start watching the film and, you, you know, even talking with some of these guys, you know, that these are, these are guys that are Matt Campbell's really going to like, and they're kind of built in his image. 
two two more questions before I let you go. First off, is there anything left for this class, or does this class feel like it's it's pretty much done now? I think this class is pretty much done. I think the once there's two really surprises today that kind of caught me off guard. Uh, ben Sauls uh, was the kicker. He decommitted from Boston College, I believe it was last week. I think it was last Wednesday or last Thursday. Um, new coaching staff at Boston College came in. Um, not, I guess he, you know, they must have pull, probably pulled his scholarship. Iowa State was kind of always right there in the backfold. Uh, he commits to Iowa State, and then we get to the day, and he actually signed with Pittsburgh. Uh, so it was kind of a bit of a shocker to see that, uh, such a quick turnaround for him. Uh, but best of luck to him. And then Anthony Smith, uh, we had a late offensive lineman out of Florida. So that one was kind of a surprise as well. Well, didn't see that one coming. I uh, didn't have really any t- big time offers. I think his biggest offers maybe Florida Atlantic before the, before Iowa State offered on Monday, and then he chose the Cyclones today, which was huge for them. I thought they maybe could have went the JUCO route as far as maybe an offensive guard, offensive tackle, uh, but they decided to go with him, and he's probably going to be a guy that's going to need some development as well. Speaking of the offensive line, that's that's been something of a weakness for Iowa State during Matt Campbell's tenure. Uh, there's one guy that you have signed that I, I want to talk about as as an Oklahoma State guy, someone I had, I had kept an eye on. That's Hayden Pauls, an offensive tackle out of Emporia, Kansas. Um, I liked him. I liked his tape and what I saw of him. What's what's your opinion of, of Pauls, and how quickly do you think he'll see the field? I think these are uh, there's two guys what I want to mention on the offensive line. Hayden Pauls is one of them, and the other one's for me. It's going to be Tyler Miller. Those are the two guys out of this offensive line class that really stuck out to me. Those were my, my 1A, 1B kind of guys. I didn't really put one over the other. Uh, both guys, I think, are probably going to sit this fall. Uh, but I, I wrote here, I think one of those guys, I'm not sure if it's going to be their Pauls or Miller. I think in 2021, I think one of those guys is going to be in line to crack a starting lineup at some point uh, down the road. So those are by far my two favorite offensive line prospects. Uh, both both are going to just need a year of development. And when it comes to the offensive line, Iowa State really loves to to get these get these younger guys develop them. They like playing the redshirt juniors, the redshirt seniors. That's what they've been doing over the last few years. And now that we're kind of getting these higher ceiling guys, you know, the longer they they kind of come in and they develop, maybe not. It doesn't take three or four years to develop them. It's taking one to two years before you're starting to see results on the field. So these are two guys that are that are going to buck that trend and maybe just take a year and then be ready by year two to play. Derek Duke covers recruiting for Wide Right 90 Light. You can also hear him on Big 12 Country Podcast. Derek, appreciate your time today, man. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, let's wrap this up today by talking about Texas. Gerald Goodridge, our good friend from Burnt Orange Nation, joining the show today. Gerald, I want to start with the two signees that Texas got on Wednesday um, to kind of wrap up this class. First off, four-star defensive end Alfred Collins, as well as um, athlete Cavante Dixon. It was a nice end to the 2020 class. What was your impression uh, of the two guys that they they signed on Wednesday? So I'll start with Dixon because Dixon committed like – at 11:59 yesterday because scott surratt at carthage is like no we don't do hat ceremonies here you know who you're going to sign with before you sit at the table on wednesday uh so he is uh the younger brother of keontae ingram a guy who uh texas really texas fans really like uh running back uh dixon is going to probably slot in at outside receiver spot for texas he is a uh six foot kid that runs a sub 11 100 100 meter dash 
So he's a guy that, that can take the top off the defense. He uh, brought in like 37 touchdowns in his, sophomore, in his junior and senior seasons. Uh, he softened some of the wounds that Texas has. Uh, this was a really, really good class for Texas. Highly concentrated, only 19 commit commitments uh, but still managed to, to get a top 10 class out of it but Texas missed I think primarily at the wide receiver position um, they had a guy flip late before December signing day to TCU uh, offered Jackson uh, Smith Jibba too late it so ends up at Ohio State yet again Texas loses a, a backyard kid to Ohio State and I if I ever see Brian Hartline it's on on site like it's just a thing that's going to happen uh, <laughs> so bringing him into the fold is big for Texas because he fills a spot that they absolutely needed in this class, which is kind of another big play wide receiver. Um, and then you talk Alfred Collins, a difference maker, I think almost immediately, I won't say immediately, but like he's a guy that could compete for playing time next year. He is six, five, he put on 40 pounds in his senior year. His junior year, he came out and he's measured at like 6'5", 240, 245. And then he ended his senior season right at about 280, 285. And he has – the thing about that 285 is it's like a soft 285. And so seeing him in a college strength and conditioning program, the NCAA Ignite, is a sculptor of men. And so I'm intrigued to see where he ends up at Texas. He's an in-betweener on the defensive line in a good way where he's got the size where if you need him to play more inside, he can. I would prefer to see him as your kind of big, strong, strong side defensive end, a guy who can occupy multiple blockers and let a linebacker kind of roam free and play the edge. He is a guy that um, – he's a Texas legacy. His mom played basketball uh, at Texas several years ago. So he's, he's a guy that I think Texas absolutely had to land in this class. And he's a guy that can really uh, be a, a cornerstone for a unit that's already really good on the defensive line. And then this class, they also brought in Vernon Broughton, who is a, uh, another top defensive tackle. He's a uh, early enrollee top 150 kind of guy. He's already on campus. So the pairing those two in this class, along with a guy that, that you might, you know, OSU fans might be upset about. Sorry, Gorham Welch in this class. It's, it's a, it's a good haul. And I think Collins is kind of the icing on the cake. So looking at 24-7, nationally ranked number nine, so a nice top 10 class, which is what you want to see if, if Texas is going to get to its aspirations of national championships. Number one in the Big 12. You said you, you like this class overall. Looking at it, does it fill the needs that Texas has? And, and what do you think are the strengths of this class? So yes and no. I think I – this really feels like looking for pimples on the prom queen. If I can use that, that metaphor there, it's probably a, a sexist metaphor, but it's whatever. Um, like I, this is a really, really incredible class and it's loaded with a lot of, a lot of talent and some big spots. Texas built this class around kind of two things. One, they got three offensive linemen, the three offensive linemen really in this class that they really wanted, got them early and landed the top two dual threat quarterbacks uh, in the state of Texas uh, in Hudson Card, Jaquin and Jackson. So there's a ton of offensive talent. They also landed the number one running back in the country, Bijan Robinson uh, out of Arizona. He's a guy that um, he gets favorably compared to Alvin Kamara. And so that's a, that's an incredible, incredible pickup for Texas there, especially uh, now that they've, three years in a row Tom Herman's been there they've landed the top 
running back in the Big 12. And so it's a big deal. Um, it's a highly concentrated class, like I said before, 19 guys, but the, the, they're like fifth of the nation in like average rating according to 247. Um, when you look at like the blue chip ratio, they're basically at like 80% blue chips in this class. But the two glaring holes, I think for me, as we look at like where Texas could have done better, I mentioned the wide receivers uh, overall, but I think Texas missed pretty, uh, pretty significantly at linebacker. And I think the big problem there is that the state of Texas as a whole just doesn't produce a ton of elite level linebackers. Uh, Texas does a lot of defensive backs and it does a lot of offensive skill positions, quarterbacks, wide receivers, uh, but linebackers just don't seem to come out of the state of Texas often. And there were, there were two, you know, kind of top 300 guys in the state of Texas at linebacker, Texas landed one of them. Uh, they tried to go out of state, missed a couple. Uh, last year, they went out of state, landed a really good linebacker, but he medically retired. So I think the linebacker spot is one that I really would have loved to see Texas uh, find a way to bring another guy on campus. There are a couple of athletes in the class, guys uh, you know, like Jaden Hullaby. He's a 6'2", 205 guy who played like three or four different positions uh, for, for Mansfield Timberview high school out of Arlington. But um, he probably plays more of like an H back type of situation. So I think that's probably the big, if there's like one hole that I have to pick, it's, it's definitely linebacker. So obviously Texas had a complete overhaul of its coaching staff, Tom Herman, pretty much booting just about everybody out the door, bringing in a whole crop of new coaches. How do you think that affected this class obviously a lot of those guys had signed earlier before the real purge of coaches happened but what effect do you think that had on on this 2020 class and what kind of effect do you think it'll have moving forward so i'm i'm probably of a different mind than a lot of a lot of fans when you see this i think a lot of the changes that texas made are going to have probably a positive recruiting impact and had a positive recruiting impact in this cycle one of the things that you'll see uh, and i made a joke about it on our on our podcast uh on twitter feed that Texas had, an, Texas had announced all but one coaching position. And right about that same time, uh, kind of their director of player relations, uh, Brian Carrington, went out, was named an interim coach and went out in the field. And then on National Signing Day, rumors started circulating that Texas was going to name a, a, its last coaching position uh, tomorrow. So like, that's a positive when, you, when, you ha- when you're able to play the game like that. And to be honest with you, the some of the changes on the offensive staff specifically, um, you know, losing Tim Beck. Tim Beck was a really incredible, incredible evaluator of quarterbacks. He's a really incredible quarterback recruiter. So I'm interested to see uh, what that looks like moving forward. Now, Mike Yersich is a guy who also I think is able to develop quarterbacks. I'm interested to see what uh, what quarterbacks they get on campus. Uh, that one hurts, and I think part of the reason why he wasn't he didn't officially land where he landed until after the first signing day was B. John Robinson. Uh, but I, I, that's the one that I'm concerned about. I think wide receivers, I really think getting rid of uh, Drew Maringer is going to help Texas uh, at the wide receiver spot. He, from what the, the internet conversation, what the people in the know talk about, he maybe not actively scuttled, but um, kind of side played, slow played, misplayed relations with a lot of top in-state receivers and that's why a lot of guys ended up out of state and so losing him I think is a is a big uh it's an addition by subtraction to this recruiting staff so that one to me is interesting I think overall it didn't have a huge negative impact in this group and actually guys like Alfred Collins uh, were waffling on Texas until they brought in Chris Ash because Chris Ash plays a primary four down uh 
position and Alfred Collins wanted to play a four, a, a four down defensive end. And so that really solidified him going to Texas. So that actually turned out to be really fortuitous for Texas. So looking at this class, um, as a guy who comes to Oklahoma state, they uh, offer a lot of the same players as Texas, obviously. And there's a couple of them I recognize, obviously Jaron Thompson, uh, Prince Dorba, but there's one in particular I want to ask your opinion on Sawyer Gorham Welch. who was actually an Oklahoma state uh, commit who flipped to Texas uh, sometime back. I liked him. Uh, I thought he would have been a nice fit at Oklahoma State, and I really liked what I saw from his tape. What's, what's your opinion of, of Sora Gorham Welch, and, and, and what kind of impact can he have at Texas? So he's an early enrollee, first of all, which it's always good to get those guys on campus. Um, when I see Oscar Giles go after a kid that's unranked, my, my, kind of ears, my ears prick up a little bit uh, because Oscar Giles is a guy who – has been around Texas for a long time and has recruited a lot of top, top defensive ends. And he's developed them into guys who are, who played in the NFL for a long time or are currently still playing in the NFL. And so Gore Mulch had a really big senior year for Longview. He's a guy that, that um, really blew up a bit in his senior year. He didn't really necessarily have a ton of great, junior tape but as a senior he had like eight sacks and 15 tackles for loss like a big big year Um, and getting him on campus early is huge I think he's a guy who is a high motor guy he's a high character guy one of those culture guys that you bring in as well so I'm really interested to see how he slots in with this talented group because Texas is is if there's one spot where they're doing well it's on the defensive line they've got a lot a lot a lot of talent there um so giving him a couple of years to develop and kind of grow, he's, he needs some polish, I think, as far as his past rush skills go at a, at a power five level. But I'm really, really excited to see. He has a lot of upside. Gerald Goodridge, Burn Orange Nation. Gerald, always appreciate having you on the show, man. So thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Phillips. Always fun. Podcast Network.